people right now in Butler that don't know that. They don't know that's true. And one of the things we want to be about as a church is, is telling them. There's also a lot of people throughout this planet that don't know that's true. And one of the privileges that we have at Community Alliance Church is being involved in helping support financially, prayerfully, and being involved by going missionaries around the world that are sharing that good news, that gospel message. One of the couples that we support is with Avant Ministries, and they serve in Geneva, Italy. It's, their names are Dustin and Miranda Mahoney, and you're going to have an opportunity to speak to them after the service right through those doors. So I'm going to invite you to do that. I'm also going to invite Dustin to come up here and share uh, just a, a few moments with you as he doesn't get that opportunity very often, and we're glad that he's here in Butler. Dustin, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And let me just... Let me just say what an honor, a joy, and a privilege it is for Miranda and I to be here to worship with each of you, our home, church family, this morning to worship Jesus together and to celebrate together the work that he is accomplishing across the world in Genova, Italy. You see, six years ago, you sent me on a mission to a place, to a world, to a, a culture that was unchurched, without hope. And now today, there stands a church, a church, a network of churches called Jesus Encounters. Now, this is a story of dark and dire circumstances, of hope and redemption, and now of, of some unfinished business. First, 1 Corinthians one twenty seven says that God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Now, this, this is our story. And you are a part of that. You see, we have had the opportunity to go into a place, into a culture, a city of over half a million people, where less than 1% of the population even claims to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, at first, we were, hit, we were hitting that, that, that hard wall. This is a place, this is a culture of people that is post-Christian, post-Catholic, atheistic, just hard-headed. And so as we move to the east side of Geneva, we face that resistance. We still have friends, we still have contacts there that we pray for. But we felt that God was moving us to the west side of Geneva, to the projects, to the outcasts of society. And as God moved us there, what we began to see was the church rise up. We began to see people coming from alcoholism, from substance abuse, homelessness, people coming from these very difficult circumstances, seeing their need for Christ, seeing their need for a Savior, for redemption in their lives, and then coming to Him, and then coming to us to be a part of this Jesus Encounter Church. We said, you know what, we, we don't want to stop there, because there are just some, there's just some bad stuff happening here in Geneva. This is a great city. But because of just the history of sin, what we began to see was that there are some really heavy, dark circumstances surrounding us. Things like human trafficking. Things like discrimination against marginalized people like Roma gypsies. Now, Miranda and I, we share a particular heart for these kinds of people. And so, born out of a dream that Miranda had, this past year, we had the opportunity to launch with the church 
a ministry to victims of human trafficking. There are actually 1,300 women and children who are trafficked in the Geneva every single year and forced onto the streets. And so we go out in teams and share practical assistance as well as, as hope that, that they've never had and they thought they might never find in Jesus. And so we've had the opportunity this year to share with over three dozen women this hope. One girl in particular, her name is Miki. She came to us with her story, and it was just broke our hearts. You see, Miki had been stabbed twice by clients on the streets, left for dead once even while she was pregnant. And she said, you know what? I just feel like I'm too unclean to even talk to God. We said, you know what, Miki? God loves you just the way that you were made. We are here because he loves you, and we want you to recognize that. And we want you to feel that and experience that for yourself. That's why we're here. So you can pray for Miki. You can also pray for the large gathering of Roma gypsies that now make up a healthy portion of our church. This is a unique story. God led us down this path a couple of years ago through a set of circumstances that we could only describe as God-ordained. To begin, we were actually invited to an underground, shantytown, gypsy community a large community, to share Christ and to lead Bible studies amongst this this community of gypsies. Now, at first we were met with some resistance, but God has opened up doors, and we have now seen a number of our gypsy friends come to know Christ and be integrated into the Jesus Encounter Church. At one one recent gathering of our church, there was actually a local pastor who came, and he he saw what was happening. He saw, after, after the service, we had a time of a fellowship and food together, shared a meal. And he said, you know what? I never thought I would see the day that gypsies and Italians worship together, laugh together. Because you know what? There are a lot of gypsies in in Italy. It's a large population, and, and they fight, and they just hate one another. But this is one place where he said, you know what? This is different, and I never thought I would see anything like this where they're friends, where they're family. So this is the church that you have helped to start. You are our participants in this work. And so we just are here to thank you for that. And we're here to celebrate that with you. Now, as I said, the work is unfinished. Marina and I intend to go back to Geneva in mid-February to help lead the transition from missionary leadership into national leadership. And we also pray for our friends on that other side of the city. As we've actually even begun to see some of them respond out of what they saw before as foolishness and weakness, as some of the, the outcasts of society have begun to make a big difference for Christ in this city. So we thank you, and we look forward to connecting with you after the service. As I say, it's one of our privileges that we can be involved in ministries like that. You know that we, we're also involved in some other ministries as well. In fact, in late October, there's a small team uh, from this church that went to Green Mountains. That's uh, a name that many of you have heard. And we spent time with the Green Mountains team there doing a field forum. And, and a field forum, for those of you that don't, don't know what that is, you may hear that word and not, aren't sure, that's, uh, that's Team Green, they call themselves, the Green Mountains team. Really, field forum is a time for spiritual renewal for the missionaries. That's the, that's the main purpose of it. 
And, and so we take a team and we minister to their children. They get to hear a, a sort of a VBS, if you will, in English. We get to minister to them. And then we also spend time with uh, the adults on the team, really talking to them uh, about their relational uh, issues and situations, the team issues, any personal struggles they have. Really, we just share God's word with them. Uh, we go and we teach God's word and we allow them as well the opportunity to, to worship in English, and it's, a, it's just a huge ministry to them. So I want to thank you, even as Dustin has said thank you, I want to thank you for allowing us to go on that trip. Your support financially of this church enables that to happen. I know many of you prayed for us, and uh, I just want to say thank you for that. It was, a, it was a privilege to be there and minister to and with these dear folks. I also want to let you know that next week we kind of have a special privilege, and that is that two new team members are going to be going to Green Mountains in August. These two team members haven't actually even met one another yet, but they're coming here next weekend, and they're going to just spend some time in Butler getting to know one another as families, and then they're going to be here Sunday so that we can at least introduce you to them, and uh, Denny's going to be here to, to pray with them as well. So two new members, the, the Reber family and the Kane family, and you'll be hearing about them just like you've already heard about the Featherland family and the Sapia family already serving in, uh, in Green Mountain. So it's a, it's a privilege for us, again, to be a part of those kinds of ministries. And uh, we're excited to be a church who ministers here and also has impact around the world. Uh, again, thanks to you, you all, and, uh, and we praise the Lord for that. Uh, if you don't know me, I want to shift gears a little bit and, and tell you that I'm, I'm, my name is Bob Thomas, and I'm, I am the missions pastor, so I do spend a lot of uh, time thinking about, praying about, and working with a group of people that help our strategy for missions. I'm also the executive pastor here, and uh, I just want to say welcome. I know a Justin, I have a Justin and a Dustin, and like, you know, that, so it's in my head, it don't work very well. I know Justin has already thanked you for being here and welcomed you, but I hope someone has made you feel uh, welcome this morning. And I certainly don't know where you're coming from. I just want to, I guess, thank you that, that you were brave enough to get here uh, in the icy conditions. Um, I talked to two people this morning who fell in their driveway, and uh, I know I backed out of my driveway and just kept going. Um, I hit my brakes and realized I wasn't slowing down. So I really do appreciate that you're here, and, and we actually prayed uh, for safety for folks to get here and, and for you all to get home and the next group to get here. Hopefully it'll get a little bit warmer, so... Uh, and the ice will go away. But I appreciate your efforts uh, in getting here this morning. I want to ask you a couple of questions to start off this morning. The first one's real simple, and I would expect everyone to raise their hands. Did you hear that? Everyone to raise their hands. Have you ever had a, come to a place in your life where you had circumstances or, or situations and, and you weren't sure what to do? If that's ever happened to you, raise your hand. And if you're not raising your hand, wake up. Have you ever come to those kind of situations in your life, maybe those circumstances, and you've wondered to yourself, not just what should I do, but what does God want me to do? If you've ever done that, raise your hand. I think there's still someone sleeping if you want to poke them. And then a similar question, maybe that same question asked a slightly different way is, have you ever had those situations and circumstances in your life, and you've, you've, you've said to yourself, not just what does God want me to do, but what is God's will for me in the midst of this circumstance? What is God's will? Have you ever done that? Okay, many of you. Great. Then you can stay and listen to what I have to say. Because we're going to be talking this morning about God's will and God's will for our lives. In order to do that, I want you to turn to the book of Colossians. 
the book of Colossians. We're going to actually pick up where Pastor Denny left off uh, last week. We're going to be going through the book of Colossians. Denny will be back uh, and preaching next week. He's actually here somewhere in the building, and um, he'll be here next week to preach and continue on where, where I leave off. So uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 is where we're going to be starting. If you don't have a Bible, I invite you to take one from the seat back in front of you and find the book of Colossians. We're going to read uh, verses 9 through 14 of the book of Colossians. Um, Colossians are, are people, uh, we learned last week, who, who loved people. It says they loved God's people and they had faith in the Lord. And in the verses that we're going to read, Paul kind of looks back at those facts. And uh, so he starts out like this. Verse 9 of Colossians chapter 1 says this. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a, a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul expresses here that since he and his co-workers have heard about the Colossians' faith in God, the Colossians' love for people, that ever since they've heard about that, they haven't stopped praying for them. And then he goes on to tell them specifically what he's been praying for them. And he says, it says, continually we ask God. That just means really the idea is day after day. This is an ongoing prayer that they have. Day after day they pray that they would, that God would fill you, sorry, that God would fill you with the knowledge of his will. And then he goes on to say that that knowledge comes through, how, does he, how, do they, how do they arrive at that knowledge? Through wisdom and understanding that the Holy Spirit gives. Paul prays that the Colossians will know God's will. Do you remember just moments ago when I said, how many of you have, have come to a situation in your life and you said, what's God's will? And many of you raised your hand. It's not a new question. It's an old question. It's a question that's been around a long time. Paul was praying 2,000 years ago that the Colossians would be able to know God's will for their lives. But it's very interesting. It's very interesting to me that as Paul gets specific about what, what that means, knowing God's will, he develops a picture of knowing God's will that I think may be very different than the one that many of us have in our minds. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. You see, it's fascinating to me that Paul doesn't pray that God would give them wisdom and understanding as they determine what they should do or where they should go or what they should do for a living or what person they should marry or what kind of house they should build or any, anything like that. 
He doesn't pray that they would know the answer to the what questions of life. He doesn't do that. Now, how, how many of you have prayed, and I know I certainly have done that, prayed for someone to know God's will, that they would have wisdom, that they would know God's will, and then you prayed that they would know what to do or where to go or when to do something. Again, I, I've certainly done that. Let me give you a couple examples in my own life. My boys are both in college. Yes, I'm that old. I know I don't look it. Thank you. Um, my boys are both in college. Some of you are thinking, are they like 40 already? Because you look that old. And when they were trying to select a college, we prayed. We prayed that they would have wisdom. We prayed that they would be able to know God's will. And we prayed, God, make it clear to them what college to go to. Make it clear which one to choose. Certainly in my own life, I've prayed that, you know, I, in the past, I've had uh, a couple of different job offers. And so you pray, God, thank you, first of all, for that opportunity. But which one do you want? Lord, show me. What's your will for me? That happens. I ask people here to pray for me all the time, that I would have wisdom and that we would know God's will in certain situations and circumstances here at, at Community Launch Church. So, so I think that's, that's normal, certainly. But that's not what Paul is talking about. Certainly, I, again, I, I ask people to pray for me. I've, did it, I've done it this week, that I would know what to say to people because they have some difficult circumstances in their life. So I'm not saying not to do that. So don't call the church office. Don't try to find Pastor Denny and say, Bob said I'm not supposed to pray about what college to go to. It's not what I'm saying. What am I saying? Let me tell you. What I'm saying is that Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is writing a letter to the Colossians. And his earnest prayer for the Colossians is that they would know God's will. He then explains that the reason he wants them to know that is so that they can live a life worthy of the Lord, he says. Worthy of the Lord, and that kind of life pleases God, is what Paul says. But then he never once mentions in any way that he asks God to make clear to them what to do or where to go. Instead, his focus, his concern, his emphasis is on how they are to live their lives and who they are to be as believers. That's his emphasis in this passage. Paul says, I want you to know God's will so you can live a life that's worthy of him. We're going to talk about that, worthy of the Lord, and pleases him. And then he describes that life. He gives some characteristics that that life should contain, but he never talks about what or when or where. If you haven't done so already, I'd like you to take out your sermon notes. They are yellow. It's probably not yellow nowadays. It's probably some unique name, but they look yellow to me. I want us to take a few minutes and, and look at the characteristics that, that mark a life that is lived according to God's will. And then I want us to really hone in on, on one specific takeaway this morning, which I'm going to make clear to you. So in your sermon notes, you'll see that the phrase uh, worthy of the Lord means to live a life that corresponds with what the Lord has done for us and who he is to us. That just means we should live according to how what he has done in our lives. We want to live in a way that is, 
is lives in it. We live accordingly in, in the, the right way based on what he's done for us. Uh, we want to live consistent with the fact of, look at what he's done for us. We want to live in a way that's consistent with those facts that we know to be true. The, the phrase really gives you the idea of uh, acting in conformity with our union with Christ. You know, those of us that are believers, Scripture says we are one in Christ. He is in us and we are in him. And this word is just talking about we want to live lives that, that demonstrate that. We're, we have a union with Christ. We are one with him. We want to live our lives accordingly. It should be evident that we are one with him. That's what living a life worthy of the Lord means. And Paul then says the ultimate aim of living a life that way, living a life worthy, is that it will please the Lord. So let's look at some characteristics of that life and just have four blanks in there for you. These aren't as complex and difficult as Pastor Denny's notes are. I can say that because he's here. Um, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to, to sort of take some notes and follow uh, along. So the first characteristics of a life, first characteristic of a life worthy of the Lord is that it is a life which is bearing fruit. We bear fruit, and the verse goes on to say, through good works. Those of us that are believers should be living a life of good works, and those works will bear fruit, spiritual fruit. Now, sometimes we get nervous when we talk about good works because we start to think, well, so I've got to do good works. You, you don't have to do good works. It's a natural outcropping of our union, of our relationship with Christ. It's not that we do good works so that we can be right and so that we can have a, relation with, a relationship with him. That's impossible. But because we have a relationship, we do good works and we bear spiritual fruit. That is the kind of relationship we should have. That's a characteristic of this type of life that Paul is talking about. The second characteristic of a life worthy of the Lord is it is a life that is growing. There's growth involved. You see, the believer shouldn't just be bearing fruit in his life. He should also be experiencing personal spiritual enlargement, spiritual growth. More and more we should be becoming more and more mature believers. The life of a Christian needs to be marked by ongoing growth and ongoing growth in the knowledge of God, not in the knowledge about God. There's a lot of people who know a lot about Scripture and a lot about God. But what this verse is talking about is growth in the knowledge of who God is and what he has done for you and for me. That's the kind of growth that, that's the kind of characteristic we need to have in our life. The third characteristic of a life of the Lord is that it is a life that is being strengthened, being strengthened. It's important that we are being strengthened. The reason it's important is that we live in a world that we are in a battle. We're in a battle with cosmic forces of this dark world, and we need strength to be able to stand in that battle. We can't do it on our own. This strength comes from the Lord. And Paul says in verse 11, it's not proportioned out to us little by little. He says it's given to us in abundant supply. It's not that as we need power, God gives us a little bit here and a little bit there. No, it's given to us abundantly from our almighty God. 
And then Paul continues in verse 11, and he says, you're given this strength, this power, so that you might have great endurance and patience. You see, the effect of this empowerment is that we can endure. We can see things through. We can have the ability to last. And also that we will have patience. The idea here is even-tempered. Even if you're insulted or injured, you won't strike back, you won't retaliate. That's the idea of this word. In fact, the King James Version uh, translates this word long-suffering. It's a good translation. So that's the third characteristic. The, the fourth and last characteristic of a life worthy of the Lord is that it is a life that is marked by giving thanks. We are to be people of gratitude. The main emphasis of our gratitude, of our being thankful, Paul tells us in, in verse 12, is that God has qualified us to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. I mean, what better reason to give thanks than the fact that as believers, we were, at the moment of our conversion, we were given an inheritance that will never spoil, that will never fade away, that will never be taken from us. That's the truth of Scripture. Then Paul further explains in verse 13, he says this, for he has rescued us, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and he's brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Just like a couple of the songs we sang, he's the rescue for sinners. Remember singing that earlier? He, Jesus Christ, is the rescue for sinners. We also sang, you alone can rescue, you alone can save. God rescued us when we had no hope. When we were unable to rescue ourselves, he stepped in. And he took us from the dominion of darkness and he transferred our citizenship into the, the dominion of his beloved son, the dominion of light. That's the truth of the gospel message. That's the truth that the Mahonies declare in Italy, that, that the couples that we looked at declare in Green Mountains. It's the truth that we declare here in Butler. Without Jesus Christ, we have no hope, but with him, we have hope and we have life eternal. And then Paul further describes that process of rescuing when he says, it is through his beloved son that we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin, in verse 14. It's through Jesus Christ we have been redeemed. We have been redeemed and we've received forgiveness of sins. And, and because of that, we should be thankful. We should have a life that is marked by giving thanks. That's what Paul's telling us. So what have, we, what have we learned thus far? Paul prays that the Colossians would know God's will and that they would know God's will so that they can live a life worthy of the Lord that's pleasing to him. Then he paints a picture of what that life looks like through giving some characteristics. So, great. How does that help us? I think it helps us in one very specific way. Again, we've already talked about the fact that at the beginning, many of us at times in our lives, we're looking for God's will. We want to know what God's will is. If that hasn't yet happened to you because you're young or perhaps haven't been walking with the Lord very long and so haven't asked that question yet, I'm sure that it will happen in your life. Uh, you might be here and you might be in high school. And you might be asking, you know, what does God want me to do with my life? What career does he want me to pursue? Or maybe you're trying to decide about college 
and you're praying, what college should I go to? Just like I talked about earlier. Maybe you're here this morning and you're single, but you'd really rather not be. And you're asking God, well, where is that person? Which one do you have for me? Or maybe you are married and you're asking God, when, when should we start a family? You know what, or maybe you're asking him, Lord, why, why aren't we able to start a family? We have that desire and yet you haven't allowed us to do it. Maybe you're here this morning and your marriage or your relational life is a mess. And you're asking God the why question. Why has this happened to me? And maybe you're here this morning and, and you or someone in your family, someone that you love has a physical ailment, perhaps a, a mental issue, maybe cancer. Or maybe you have some physical ailment that quite frankly most people can't even pronounce. Or maybe the doctors aren't even sure what it is. And you're asking, why? God, why have you allowed this to happen in my life? And it may be you've lived long and healthy lives. Or you've lived a long, healthy life and you've lived so long that many of your friends and family, perhaps even grown children, have passed away. And your question is, what, what do I do now? There's a lot of questions to ask about God's will. And, and I think that what your sermon notes talk about is that often when we think about knowing God's will, those are the kinds of questions that we ask. We ask questions that start with the word what. In your first blank there, we ask questions that start with when or where. Or why? I think that's very normal. And I want to say, while those are certainly appropriate questions to ask, certainly appropriate questions to ask, it seems clear from this passage that they might not necessarily be the first questions that we should ask. Perhaps not the first questions that the Lord would have us ask. Because God is, sorry, Paul has certainly been telling us and, and we know that God cares about those what and why and when and where questions. He does, absolutely. Cares about every detail of our lives. But it seems in this case, in this passage, Paul is pointing out that God is very much concerned about how we live our lives and who we are in Christ. So if you continue on through your sermon notes, you'll see a, a different type of question, a different set of questions, if you will. And, and I think these are the questions that, that we need to be asking first, these kinds of questions. How does God want me to respond to this situation? How does God want me to live my life in the midst of these circumstances in which I find myself? Who does God want me to be? Who does he want me to become is another question perhaps. And then who does he want me to trust is the, the last question. And, and I have that on there specifically because it's a, it's a question that we should all know the answer to. He wants us to trust him. The Lord is the only one who is trustworthy. We have to place our trust in him, not in ourselves, not in someone else, not in anything else that we somehow at times might think will fill the void in our life, 
but nothing will but him. So, so Paul demonstrates, again, how important it is to know God's will. He's praying for that continually for them. The reason he wants them to know that is so they can live a life that's pleasing to the Lord, worthy of the Lord. And then he talks about a lot of the, the how. He paints that picture that we talked about. He paints a picture of that life by looking at some of the characteristics that would exist in it. So here's the key lesson that I want to leave you with this morning. It's my challenge to you. When you find yourself in difficult situations or in circumstances where you're not sure what to do, perhaps, perhaps heartbreaking circumstances and situations, and you find yourself praying that you would know God's will, and then you begin to ask what and when and where, I want you to stop. I want you to stop mid-sentence. If you're praying that, if you're talking to someone else about that, if you're just saying that in your head, I want you to stop. I want you to pause. I want you to take a deep breath. And then I want you to begin to consider what are some other questions you might need to ask first? The how questions. How does God want me to respond in the midst of this situation? How does he want me to live my life? Who does he want me to be? It may be that those, that thought is brand new to you because you haven't been walking with the Lord very long at all and you're just like, this whole discussion doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to me. If that's the case, I want to encourage you to ask someone else. Ask someone that's a little further down the road than you are in, in, your, in this walk of a believer and, and let them help you get the answers to some of those how questions or, or who questions. And I, I certainly want to encourage you to read God's word because that's where the answers are found. The answers to those questions are clearly found in God's word. In fact, many of you that have been walking with the Lord for many years, when I asked, how does he want me to live and who does he want me to be? I mean, I hope you have the answers to those questions kind of rolling around in your head, right? We, we know some of those things. We're to be loving. Certainly we have the fruit, of the, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, right? We, we want to be loving. We want to be joyful. We want to be at peace. We want to have patience. We want to be understanding. Understand that. So you think, well, what's the point of asking the question then if I already know the answer? Well, if you're like me, here's the point. If I find myself in the midst of difficult circumstances and I begin to ask the what and the why and I can stop, and this, you have no idea how applicable this uh, message has been to me this week in my life. And I stop and I pray about, and I just say, God, who do you want me to be in the midst of this? How do you want me to respond to this? You see, as we discover or dwell on or focus on those answers, and we really focus on who does God desire me to be as a believer? What are the characteristics that I'm supposed to have in my life? Okay, Lord, in this situation, would you help me to have those characteristics? Would you help me to be patient, to be supportive, to be kind? 
And then as I really begin to focus on that and dwell on my response and who I'm supposed to be, then it is a great time to ask the what questions and the where questions. Because now I'm ready to receive those answers and act in a way that's appropriate with the fact that I want to live a life worthy of the Lord. I can, I can act in a way, I can respond in a way that is worthy of the Lord and pleases him. And that's what Paul's talking about. That's his focus throughout this whole thing. It's not just knowing which choice to make, but it's who we are in the midst of those choices. And as we focus on the how and the who, then we get in the right place spiritually and emotionally. And we can ask those what questions and those where questions, and we can get those answers, and we can respond again in an appropriate way. So that's my challenge. Okay, if you're in the middle of this type of situation, maybe you're pondering some of these questions, asking where God's, what God's will is in your life as you walked in this morning. If that's the case, what were the questions that you were asking? Were they what questions? And when and where? I want you to stop the next time you're asking those questions and pause and just begin to ask, how do you want me to live? The kinds of questions that we have listed there. How do you want me to live? Who do you want me to be? And then after that, then it's time to determine a course of action and ask those other questions. I just want you to know that if you want someone to pray with you this morning about that, those kinds of situations in your life, we want to do that. We'd love to have you come and let us pray or, or let us share some of the how, the answers to some of the how questions that you might have in your life from Scripture. Love to be able to do that with you. There's people here that want to pray with you. All right, I want to pray for all of us uh, now before we leave. I, I want to remind you that, uh, again, remember that Dustin and Miranda will be right outside these doors at the Information Center. You just want to take off so you don't get lost in the crowd uh, right out there, so please stop and talk with them. Um, I just saw a salt truck go by, so you should be safer going home. But let me pray for us. Father God, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you that... Lord, we're supposed to be thankful people, Paul tells us. Thank you that you rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of your beloved son, the kingdom of light. We give you praise for that. And God, we also give you praise that your word tells us how we should live, who we are to be as Christians, as believers, people that have a union that are one with you. God, I, I just pray for folks that might be here this morning and they're they're struggling because they don't like some of the answers to the why and the when and the where questions. Father, if that's the case, I pray that you would come alongside them in a special way and enable them to ask the how questions and remind them that you are the one that they can trust in the midst of these circumstances. And then, God, as you strengthen them, strengthen us, then we'll be able to ask those questions and respond again in a way that's worthy of you, because that's our heart's desire, just like it was the heart's desire for Paul, for the Colossians. Lord, we thank you, give you praise. Do protect us as we leave this place and help us to get home safely uh, on the roads. We commit this time to you and ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.